Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. Today I have with me Professor John Kent, Director of Supply Chain China Initiatives for the Sam M. Walton College of Business. John, that's an unusual title for a professor to also be the director of Supply Chain China initiatives. Do you know of any other professor that has that title? I do not. <laughs> I just, uh, in working with uh, um, our department chair, uh, uh, Brian Fugit, I, uh, he and I, working on my uh, letter of appointment this year, uh, uh, we decided that I was, certainly wasn't the director of Supply Chain Management Research Center anymore and we felt we needed to have a title that uh, was conducive to our relationships and initiatives in China. Well, yeah, and I think that, um, I think it's descriptive of what you're doing. Of course, you've been teaching and involved in research, but you also have been assistant department chair, director of the Supply Chain Management Research Center, and now you are director of Supply Chain China initiatives, which I'm thrilled because we have a history, you have a long history of working in China. Because you you started in computer sciences. I know you 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 started your career in electronic data interchange or EDI. Correct. And you worked for Missouri State for 16 years. You were a professor of logistics and supply chain management, which is in Springfield, Missouri, for Missouri State. Yes. And we got lucky and hired you in July of 2014, and you're doing some really creative things for us in China, which I'm happy about. I know when you were at Missouri State, you were involved in China initiatives, and now you're here with us Mm -hmm. involved in China initiatives. And when you think about China and how important it is as a trading partner, especially for a supply chain management uh, group, we need something like this and you were willing to do it. To that point of I'm willing to do it, not at any point in my career, my life, would I have been able to do this. Uh, Both of my children are are out of the house now. I have a strong relationship, marriage with my wife. We trust each other. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I'm able to to travel and to to spend almost 100 days a year in China uh, the last three years. A hundred days per year in China. Wow. No wonder, you know, I, I, I'm constantly seeing all these emails about things you're accomplishing there. And so how many trips per year do you make to China? Uh, this 2019, I think I'm already at six and I have one oh, more trip planned. Six, six trips a year on average for the last three years, two or three weeks. And I think that aspect is important uh, to um, to where we are today. Um, I don't want to overuse the uh, the concept of relationships or communications because uh, they're applicable, you know, right here in Arkansas. Uh, but but uh, relationships and communications are consistent. Uh, I think have allowed us to accomplish the things that we've accomplished mm-hmm. in Walton uh, because of the frequent interaction and and the face to face aspect and 
and developing trust and commitment and a long-term relationship, concepts we talk about in supply chain management. The other thing to your point about being there frequently and for two to three weeks at a time, the, you know, in China, guanxi or uh, relationship building mm -hmm. is maybe more important than in most countries. Would you mind talking to that for a moment? And relationships go well beyond or, or deep, strong, trusting, committed, long-term relationships go well beyond a formal meeting. Uh, and a couple of things I'm thinking about. One is is just eating lunch or dinner together or for at breakfast. Uh, I, I'm not fluent at all in, in Mandarin or in Chinese. I know about maybe 25 words. But many of the words I've learned have, have been over dinner and extended periods of time. And, and if, if you have a very concise trip planned, your answer to those sort of informal, um, you know, what are you doing tonight, is, is always you're doing something else because you're, you're in a hurry, you're in, in town for a short amount of time. So, so that, that building of trust, I think, has, has, has helped us to navigate the last 15 months of the geopolitical situation in China. If we didn't have a strong footing with multiple strong personal, professional, and institutional relationships, I think we may have given up. Instead, we haven't hardly missed a beat over the past 15 months with the, with the relationships and research and, and with other universities in China. I'd like to start out by talking about the cooperative degree and non-degree programs that you're, you've been working on in China. I know you've been working with five or six universities there. Is that correct? The first cooperative relationship, the one we've had for the, the longest amount of time, actually started in 2013. Uh, it was my first uh, trip to China while working for the University of Arkansas. It was in the, the summer of 2015 to teach a three-week course, uh, Introduction to Supply Chain Management, at at the uh, Suzhou, or I think most of us now call it Suzhou University, even even the Chinese, uh, so Suzhou University, and we're we're in our our fourth year of cohorts of students in that relationship. It's hard to believe it's been that long. Fourth year, we just uh, uh, just came to to Fayetteville six weeks ago was was our third um, uh, uh, cohort that come to campus. But we also have recruited, we, we have three cohorts that are still in China. So each year we add a new cohort, very similar to a freshman class. And then when those students become seniors in between their junior and senior year, they will, uh, they have the opportunity to attend the University of Arkansas and, and, and receive a degree, an undergraduate degree in supply chain management from the Walton College and from their, their home university in China. Why are these students interested in that? I think it's primarily uh, uh, the parents and the parents planning from similar to what I did. I started saving for my children's college education the month they were born and putting in a few dollars each month for 18 years and it works. And I think the parents in China do that as well. So they're creating this college savings account with the intent of their newborn of getting a degree in the United States and they know they need to save money for that. And they can do that without going through a cooperative relationship. But the, the cooperative relationship, it's much more efficient. The parents don't need to spend as much of the money they saved 
because similar to a transfer credits that we would allow from a two-year college in the U.S. or from another four-year university into the uh, University of Arkansas, they can take one or two years up to about uh, 20 courses or 60 hours uh, and transfer those in. So those can be taken at the Chinese University, transferred to the University of Arkansas, similar to what we do in the United States. One program or a, a set of programs that we offer in the Walton College that I continually hear are transformative. You know, when you look at the mission of the Walton College, part of it has to do with globalization of our students and our faculty. But about half of our vision has to do with us serving as a catalyst for transforming the lives of our students. And when I talk to students, I mean, you know, we've we have over 6,000 undergraduates in the, in the college. And the percentage of the students who, who participate in study abroad during their time here continues to go up, which I'm very grateful for, because I do think it's important. I, as you know, I used to lead study abroad mm -hmm. to China um, mm -hmm. over 10 years ago. I could see it. And those students that I would take to China, back then we went just to um, Beijing and in uh, Shanghai. I know you, you do a lot more than mm -hmm. that. Um, but so many students, when they're graduating, say that their study abroad was one of the mm -hmm. most, most transformative parts mm -hmm. of their program. Um, tell me a little bit about how you're running China's mm -hmm. study abroad now. You and I both see students' uh, lives transformed almost continuously. However, over the period of a four-year academic career, uh, that's, that's a relatively slow transformation. Uh, so if we, if we met the student, you know, young in their freshman, sophomore year, and then we're, they were a supply chain major, we can certainly see that, that transformation happen when they uh, post on LinkedIn about a, a job they just accepted. Uh, and, and we're very happy for them. In study abroad, you can see that in two weeks. You can see the transformation in, I'll use the term worldview, and just their perspective, um, both literally and figuratively on, on worldview. Uh, uh, over the last three and a half years of, of uh, what I call just along the journey of, of the research journey or the cooperative uh, uh, education journey, uh, I've met many people in industry in China and developed relationships uh, so much so, now I have contacts in, in many different corporations, both multinational and China domestic corporations, um, that, that I, I sent a text to my contact at Alibaba and asked if our study abroad trip could come to visit Alibaba. And they replied back, yes. And, uh, and, and their twist was, uh, not only do we want you to come visit us and for you to learn about us, but we want to learn about uh, retail in the United States. And so this, it, 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 it turned into an opportunity for six of the students to make presentations during our day at Alibaba um, about retail in the United States. Uh, and so they were making, our students were making presentations, which was excellent uh, for their um, uh, development. But also, it, 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 I'm using that as an anecdote of a relationship that did not exist at all three and a half years ago. Congratulations. And, 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 and now I, I, I'm, I'm, I firmly believe when I send that text again for 2020 to Alibaba that we'll do a similar, we already know the format of what works. So, so two weeks, um, 
uh, the, we combine uh, business along with uh, cultural uh, aspects of China on, on, on the uh, study abroad trips. So you mentioned that the Ministry of Transportation introduced you to these some of these universities, which is nice. That certainly helps in relationship development. But you mentioned that there's also a research project associated mm -hmm. with that, which I remember when you were first starting this, I was pretty excited about it because it reminded me of a study that had been done in the U.S. that was published every year that I've actually used data from for some of my research a mm -hmm. long time ago. Mm -hmm. So would you mind talking about that? I think you're talking about the State of Logistics yeah. report, uh, annual State of Logistics report, currently uh, uh, sponsored by uh, Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals. Um, this is a report, a longitudinal report, we call it, I think since about 1980. Uh, we've collected data in a very similar format in the United States. So, so we're in our third year of producing a benchmark or a comparison of the U.S. State of Logistics report and the primary components of cost of logistics, which would include inventory carrying costs and, and costs associated with the, the primary modes of transportation. Uh, we're comparing those costs with information from China, the two, two largest economies in the world. Actually, the first year we started this, the, uh, the graduate student that was helping me told me that this was impossible, Dr. Kent. We were not going to be able to do this because of the ways of measuring um, transportation specifically uh, in China or, or, or by pieces in weight, and we needed a, a financial measure. Uh, however, we're in our third year. We're finishing up the report for 2019, which compares the cost of logistics in the U.S. And, and in China. If you look at total logistics costs in the U.S. as a percentage of GDP, um, I remember, I think when the analysis first started, it was like over, was it over 20 percent? It was, I would say, upper teens, maybe upper over teens. 20, but certainly upper teens. And then it dropped down to under 10 percent. Single digits, eight or nine yes, percent. And, and how does that, where where is China right now? The... Uh, the numbers we're reporting this year are, 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 are in that eight and a half, nine percent of total GDP for the U.S. and about fourteen and a half percent. If you if you were to go back in years and look at when was the U.S. in that fourteen, fifteen percent, it would be, and this is off the top of my head, but it would be in the in the late eighties or in the nineties maybe. That is when you and I. Uh, first started down this path of, 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 I believe you were in the, the, the doctoral program at Penn State in that time frame. I was at University of Tennessee. And we were seeing uh, uh, education in supply chain evolve from, from transportation, actually from logistics to supply chain is what mm -hmm. you and I would have experienced. Um, that's happening in China now. And I attribute the talent, the education, uh, the awareness of the, not only the competitive advantage, because that's not really the aspect of supply chain we're talking about here, we're talking about the efficiency um, aspect that can be gained by better managing your, your supply chain. Uh, once we started doing that in the United States, we started to see those numbers go down. And, and, and that's where China, China realizes now, and I think they have the past maybe three to five years, 
that whether it's undergraduate education, master's education, or non-degreed executive education, the demand for that education and how that will help China to reduce that uh, expense in their economy or that cost in their economy as they're seeing labor costs and other costs go up. Um, so 14 and a half to 8 and trying to put that in a little bit of perspective from an education standpoint because this helps to, to define the market. In a lot of ways China and the U.S. have this uh, interesting relationship. We're customers of each other and we're suppliers for each other. And from my perspective China is a customer for our intellectual property, and they're willing to pay for it um, in our in right. part yeah. of our endeavors. Yeah. You've been involved in a really substantial funded research project in China um, with the Walmart Foundation and looking at um, the supply chain food safety issues. Mm -hmm. Would you mind talking about that? Okay. I think the first thing to emphasize, and you said this, the, the Walmart Foundation. So this is a philanthropic uh, grant that the University of Arkansas uh, receives. This is research to make the supply chains more safe for all people in China. And there are competitors of Walmart that are involved in the research as well. There are multiple, we, we focus on poultry uh, uh, supply chains, so there are multiple, multiple uh, poultry suppliers in China that, that, it, that are involved, and there are multiple agriculture universities in China that are involved, in addition to uh, poultry science at the University of Arkansas, industrial engineering at the University of Arkansas, and uh, supply chain management in the Walton College. But also, it's important to note, for Phase 2, the Blockchain Center of Excellence is also included uh, in Phase 2 of oh our research. Oh, my goodness. In, in some ways, yes, it's clearly going to benefit consumers in China, but it's benefiting the University of Arkansas in a big way, too, mm -hmm. because it's getting inter-college collaboration mm -hmm. going. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me a little bit about that research. Okay. So they started um, in, in the, in, like I say, in the fall of 2016. For two and a half years, um, we, we put together the team. Um, we, we have uh, bio-sensing engineers. So we have veterinarians that know how to co program computers that can uh, create a device that you can plug into your smartphone and that you can test um, uh, poultry for uh, microbiral uh, salmonella is a very common uh, 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 microbiral, uh, I hesitate to say disease because uh, I don't think it's a disease, but uh, um, um, contaminant in the, in, for food safety in the supply chain. Temperature um, is, is, is also very important, uh, uh, both ambient temperature and the control temperature, humidity is important. So we're involved in, in the farm to the store shelf. We like to say farm to fork because it sounds so good uh, to describe a food supply chain, but it's really from the farm to the store shelf. And, and we have uh, members of our team that, that are specialists in different areas of the supply chain. Our role during the first phase in supply chain was just to be sure that there was a supply chain orientation 
at the table in all our meetings. Uh, you get the, 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 the veterinarian and the, and the poultry science. They understand uh, very well what goes on on the farm and, and, and through the production facility. But then beyond the production facility, and if you draw it out, the downstream to the retail aspect of the supply chain was, was almost an unknown part of, this, of, the, of the, the supply chain uh, in China. And so the, the work that I've done uh, specifically from, from a supply chain perspective is, is primarily using a, a, um, uh, an application called Power BI, uh, which is a data visualization tool where we took the, uh, the data that was being collected throughout the supply chain, whether it was a salmonella microbiome test or whether it was uh, humidity or, or temperatures, um, and, and pull that information together in an interactive visual, visual way for a, a manager uh, anywhere in the supply chain to be able to understand key factors associated with, uh, with food safety. And so phase two uh, is to take that, that now I would call us a mature team, uh, uh, so, so we don't have six months, 12 months of just getting to know each other and building the team, that mature team, and we've added some regulatory, uh, legal um, um, uh, investigators, co-PIs co as, as we're called, uh, to the grant, and also the blockchain component. So those are two new areas that, that our goal for phase two is to have an adoptable so when we think of entrepreneurship and innovation and, and uh, um, plug and play and, and, and the different terms and, and, and aspects of innovation and entrepreneurship, our goal is to have an adoptable technology for supply chain food safety. Now, adoptable could be an investor that would want to come in at the end of the, at the, end of the project or it could be one of the companies that are participating uh, and that's, that's how I think we'll measure success at the end of phase two, is, is taking a, a team two and a half years ago that, that were interdisciplinary, international, uh, multiple organizations, and, and getting that team mature enough to, to have made some significant accomplishments in phase one. But the, uh, I think one of the indicators of success for phase one was the fact that the Walmart Foundation asked us to apply for a phase two and, and uh, so enough said. Probably. So in some ways, I mean, you're, you're doing this research on some macroeconomic variables. You're doing research on a really tactical, you know, food supply chain, safety in the food mm -hmm. supply chain. That's a broad spectrum. You're working with universities to create programs. You're taking our students to China and study abroad. You're getting a very broad perspective of China. And um, of course our, our students are getting a huge benefit because these programs you're developing in China, you bring the students over here eventually and then you're bringing our students over there mm -hmm. What are some observations that you've noticed? What do you know now from a high-level perspective that you didn't know before you engaged in this way, either about China or about doing business in China? There, I think there are, to, to most listeners for this podcast, there are obvious differences 
between the two economies in the two countries? I think there are more, more similarities than differences. And, and as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, um, the last 15 months, just from a geopolitical uh, trade wars is a term we use frequently, um, observing, uh, living through that, I don't call myself a trade warrior, I call myself a trade peacemaker, um, but living through that with the relationships and, and understanding that there are, there, in my mind, there are, are many more aspects of what we're trying to accomplish as the, the, the world's two largest economies that we have in common than, than, than the differences. Um, I, um, sometimes people, I will have conversations with them as you and I are having and, and they will learn, you know, different aspects of what I've been working on and, and they will label me as an expert and they'll invite me I'm, on November 7th. I'll be in Little Rock uh, talking about China, U.S. Uh, this is sort of what I've labeled as service along the journey uh, aspect of, of China that, that I never knew that this situation was going to occur in 2018 and 2019. The difference is being highlighted from a trade standpoint. Right. That is, I think, how I would sort of summarize the journey, the, the, the three-year or so uh, journey with, with the Walton College and, and China initiatives and, and, and being able to, to look back, you know, who, 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 you know, 20 years from now, Hopefully I can look back 20 years from now uh, and, and see how lucky I was to have a career that I could participate in that, that I think will be a very transformative time frame in the global economy as business professionals, certainly as supply chain professionals, will look back at this time and, and it will be a point in, in the history, in the business history anyway, of our two countries that I could be so involved with and pay so close attention to. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic. Be Epic.